0: I'm a 20 year old (laughs) university student striving to live a life of truth, involvement, fulfillment. How should I and people my age balance the inner path with the outer world? Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So I wanna talk today about the top five lessons I've learned in my 20s. And I should add that this is my 20s so far, since my 20s are not yet done. Funny fact though, everyone kind of thinks I am 18 when they look at me. I still get ID'd in restaurants for my mum's birthday dinner. But believe it or not, I'm at the back end of my 20s. And I thought this was an interesting time to reflect and think about what are some of the biggest lessons that I've learned and hopefully they might be at least somewhat relevant to you. I think the more people who share their lessons, it gives a really good compass and reminder for everyone to get back on track. So let's dive into it. Now, before I even go into my big five lessons, I want to talk about what some other people, some other interesting people have to say about this part of their life. And so you got people like Struthless,
1: My 20s is done and damn man, it
2: feels like extreme relief. you got people like Said guru. All of us have to live in this universe. No choice about it right now. But university is a choice. You Gary V's.
1: I just want people to realize they have one life because that's practical.
0: And even your Charlie Mungers.
2: You are not going to get very far in life based on what you already know.
0: Very male dominated, I apologize. I'll do another one with some wisdom from women. Struthless was quite interesting. I loved his video.
1: At some point, drugs stop being fun. Don't get me wrong, drugs start out really fun but over time they get less fun and less fun until one day they're not fun at all.
0: I haven't had any forays with drugs at all. I used to drink, I don't drink anymore, but I've never done any recreational drugs or smoking. I'm quite boring, apologies. But it was very interesting looking at at him talk about how drugs don't get better and he has that little graph. Now, while I haven't done recreational drugs, I think there are lots of pleasure-based dopamine style, very sporadic momentary pleasure-based things that operate the same way, and I think that would be interesting to explore with some of the things I'll talk about later from my own lessons. Apart from that, he pulled out two absolute stunker quotes, pieces of wisdom that I really loved and struck me very hard when I heard them. The Greg McKeown line,
1: If you focus on what you lack, you lose what you have. If you focus on what you have, you gain what you lack.
0: Focus on what you lack, you'll gain what you have. Sorry, focus on what you have, you'll gain what you lack. Focus on what you lack, you'll lose what you have. I've always found that so powerful. Modern life almost tends to push you to think the other way. There are very few lines that provide such a strong reversal of our natural tendency, the way we're conditioned to behave in society towards what would actually make us happy. And I'm gonna talk a bit about appreciation in a bit. The other one was that Josie Gregorick, the Polish weightlifter. Hard choices, easy life. Easy choices, hard life. Or maybe I got that the wrong way around.
1: It's a quote from the Olympic weightlifter Jersey Gregorek. What it means is if you pick the easy path, you know, like sleeping, chilling, smoking cones all day, your life will ironically end up really hard. You will wake up at 30 and you'll be like, ah, shit, man, I ain't got nothing. But if you pick the hard life, you know, friggin' running, cleaning, working, your life will end up really easy.
0: For example, exercise, right, is pain up front, joy and reward at the back end. Sometimes making What's at first a hard decision is a stitch in time saving nine. I'll go on to someone else, but so different, less tattoos, probably done a lot less drugs in their time, guru, and he just had an absolutely, uh, just stops you dead in your tracks kind of answer to a young student asking what 20 year olds or two, people in their early
2: 20s should do with their lives. What should we be doing as individual human beings, As a generation of people, what should we be doing in our lives? What I would say is as a young man, I want to open your eyes and look at the world. Right now please see what is the most needed thing in the world right now. You don't do some fanciful thing that you like to do. You must do what's most needed, isn't it so? If you get carried away by situations, people become like this, it's useful but it is not the basic thing. Today you saw a train burning, so you want to become a firefighter. Tomorrow you saw something, you want to become that. In reaction, in emotional reaction, you choose to become something. What should I do with my life? When such a thought has come, I would say spend little more time on it. Not being influenced by anybody or anything, simply look at it. What is it that the humanity needs most? What is it that the world needs most today? I want you to recognize that. I would say all young people, not just you, must take a break from what you're doing.
0: Now, I just find this so powerful. It's the sort of thinking that we need more of in society. and We don't see many people talking about it. Even the people we look up to, respect, admire, listen to often struggle to really hit what I think is this top level, top draw wisdom to transcend so much of our default cultural thinking to tell you to kind of stop looking at fanciful things. Now, what does that actually mean? I'll give you an example. I was having a conversation with a really bright up-and-coming young person on the weekend about, they're curious about, you know, startups, right? Should you do things in startups because startups are, you know, exciting, it's flashy, it's impressive. Do we chase what's hot, right? And that's, There's a difference between things that are hot, things are high on the podium, whatever society seems to be society's flavor at the moment, it seems like the right thing to do. There's a difference between that and what's needed in the world. And that is a huge gap. That became very relevant to me on my journey. I wanna talk about that at the end as well. He's talking about one of the most useful things is to take that break, he's talking about to stop, put a halt on, and be able to step back. And I think that he puts that incredibly well. Taking more time to think about the question, if that's the question you're asking, what do I do with my 20s? The thing you actually need most is not any form of quick answer, but actually more thinking about that question. It's pretty wise. So I'll move on. I did an episode on with Luke, the great, Charlie Munger, and one of the biggest things I took away from Charlie Munger, which hint, hint, it's in the, the title of the episode, is to seek wisdom, not advancement. Let me repeat that. Seek wisdom, not advancement.
2: This may remind you of Confucius too, is that wisdom acquisition was a moral duty. It's not something you do just to advance in life. Wisdom acquisition is a moral duty. It means that you're hooked for lifetime learning. And without lifetime learning, you people are not gonna do very well. You are not going to get very far in life based on what you already know.
0: Wow, and you go back to someone who I never shut up about, Leonardo da Vinci. He was very famous now, but he didn't, he wasn't really killing it by by external standards, recognition, validation. He didn't make much money in his own time. Not always, anyway. He really focus more on the pursuit of wisdom that created the real rewards in life rather than the things that are shiny that that seem to be more valuable from an outsider's perspective outside looking in when you're on the inside looking out it's really the pursuit of wisdom that's actually at the top of the deck and that's something that was seems really big for Charlie Munger as someone who has had a lot of what we would call external success he didn't seek it in an advancement way he actually just has a really balanced perspective about life. He just looked for places where he would have fun and and enjoy himself, have unique advantages that would make it, I guess, just a hell of a journey. Isn't that what we're all after? Just a hell of a journey, whether it looks great to others or not. And I think wisdom is really the application of the lessons you've learned and being able to inform your life to navigate it correctly based on the lessons from yourself and others. Maybe, I think wisdom can be defined along those lines. So enough about everyone else, let's get into my top five lessons. And I had a good think about these and I put them somewhat in order. So without further ado, number one, counting, counting down or five, life is long. When I was at university, I felt like I was wasting my life. I was 18, 19, 20. And I I just knew I could be doing more. And I talked to and mentor people in a similar position to where I was back then through constant student, through 18 and lost. And I do kind of encourage those people to not sit still if they have the appetite for something more in life that they're not finding, especially at university, that there are options. There are people who will put those opportunities in front of them. In saying that, the rush to get somewhere can come from a different place, I think. And it's quite different to place burden your life with all these expectations and these trying to find these magical milestones and achievements and marks to hit and trying to feel like you've got it all figured out and that you've made something of yourself. And I think if you can think of your life as a very long-term project, you're not very desperate for anything in particular. You're just patient and you don't go. I never think of patience as being slow. I think patience is letting things take their time, right? So life is long and this is the big thing that Gary V is always going on about. And one of the things that he's, he's rarely, he's compa- rarely I mean, compared to everyone else, he places so much correct emphasis on this point. You got so much fucking time.
1: I just want people to know they have time. Way too many 55 year olds think it's over. Especially because we live in this tech world where it's all about the 20 and 30 year olds like never before. And we just have time. Fuck, I'm 41 years old and I feel like I'm seven. Like I feel like I, I, feel, like, I feel like I'm just starting.
0: Okay, as he, as he always says, like, you're 40 years old and, and he talks about his own experience. If it's money that we're all worried about. He, he didn't really start making money until he was 34. I mean, I'm 27. There's so many other examples. Again, that most of the people I think about, like the stories I've come across are, are male, but you know, Joey Diaz, I talk about him. He was 31, willing to be broke for 10 years until he made it in comedy, because he'd found what he loved. Warren Buffett didn't make most of his net worth till after he was 50. Charlie Munger, his right-hand man, made a transition out of being a lawyer, slowly, from the age of 35 so he could have more independence. You got so many examples, Stephen Pressfield, the author, didn't write his first book till he was 50. Robert Greene, who he did an episode on, hopped around doing all these odd jobs for so much of his life. Vincent van Gogh, didn't find painting till after he tried a whole bunch of other things and it would have taken years and years. Ray Kroc, McDonald's quite old when he finally found like the kind of business kind of dream idea he was looking for. So there's no guarantee that you'll live, even live to 50, live to 40. That's always this thing I, ram on about, you know, my favorite question is that five year question, what would you do if you only had five years to live? The idea that life is long is, is you know, still an assumption, but it's not an, it's not an excuse to waste the present. It's just about being patient and not desperate. So that's a big lesson, right? That's a big lesson that I learned in my 20s to find the patience and sit into the fact that life is long. Number two, appreciation beats aspiration. So you can see these kind of building in a particular order here. I read a book when I was maybe 23 or 24 called The Happiness Curve, and it was a potent time for me because it'd been after these years of doing this work in and around related to Nepal while I was living here in Australia, which was a big perspective shift. And this book, The Happiness Curve, talked about midlife crisis, which is this funny thing we joke about you know, middle-aged men in Lamborghinis and I don't know dyeing their hair getting piercings whatever it goes back to the first point we're conditioned to feel like life is ending we're not even that old but you, you go back to this idea in the happiness curve that tends to be this culmination of all these social and life factors at this point in your life where you know you might not have reached the heights you thought you were going to get to in your career or you reach those heights, but you didn't they don't make you feel the way you thought they would make you feel. Throw back to Alan Watts. You might have all this stress because you're looking after aging parents, but also young children. And it's this period where you're forced to reassess your expectations for your life. And this big theory in the happiness curve was that interestingly, older people seem to report higher states of well-being, whatever that is, so grain of salt, but cross-culturally. Robust finding, China, Russia, US, all over. Older people tend to be happier than younger people. And the, 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 the hypothesis was that young people, especially people in their 20s, have all these expectations for their lives. And their expectations are so much higher than the reality. Whereas the flip is almost true for old people, older people, because they're forced to appreciate what they have once their expectations meet the cold hard face of reality. When I was 23 or 24 reading this book, I decided I was gonna accelerate my midlife crisis, flip that, and not expect much of my life, but hope for, hopefully to be able to touch lots of people with what I could do. But at the very least, I would touch the lives of those immediately around me. And that was something I knew I would be able to do. Close friends, high school friends, family. At the very least, I knew that that was in my control. And I knew I'd already done some things. I'd already enjoyed so many experiences in life and had the ability to touch some people. So the aspirations and goals and whatever you have, I've got no problem with that. Everyone's quite different in that area. I have some of my own that I very loosely hold. There's no thing I need to tick that off and then I'll be proud of what I've done in life. But appreciation must be more of a focus than aspirations, goals and things. Appreciating what you have at each stage of the journey, no matter how simple it is, that's the art of a good life. Number three, these keep building, the MVL. So this was a concept I kind of found the term probably in lots of conversations with Scott McEwen over the years, the minimum viable lifestyle, which was a common a combination again of those some of those first two lessons. And the idea that you would be conscious of the very basic, simple version of your life right now not something years away that you could be very happy with, that you could appreciate. For example, I learned that I didn't need much money. So if I was earning 50 grand a year compared to 12 grand a year, 50 would be nicer. But it, it wasn't, what's that as a percentage? Is that like 300% more, that difference? I wasn't, What 50 grand was gonna make me 300% happier than that much extra income, right? It wasn't proportionate. It might make me like 10%, life 10% easier or more comfortable or something like that. But if I was only 50 grand doing things that took away time to do things I love, like the joy of writing, being creative, being able to work in an industry I was interested in, which was a struggle for a couple of years for me, if that was gonna take that away, wasn't quite worth it. Right? And so the idea of the MVL is what is the simplest version of your life that actually makes you quite happy? And the misinterpretation, I think, or the interpretation of this concept, as I write about it, spoke about it, it, was the first podcast episode, I think is less helpful, perhaps, is the idea that it's being a poor pauper, you know, like living on locusts and, I don't know, starving yourself and not having any money and being borderline homeless and being poor for poor sake. That's not really it. That's not the focus. I place bets that probably brings more commercial opportunities to me, right? Like I do things like invest in companies if opportunity comes along. I have worked on multiple business projects. Like these things can all help me make lots of money, but it's a very Charlie Munger style approach. You're doing things that you happen to enjoy. They happen to have a big potential financial reward and comfort, but that is a byproduct. You're very happy for that to just be a byproduct. It's not really the core thing. And it is much better to invest in simple more attainable things and just leave room for bigger rewards that are in the less meaningful areas less meaningful to you like money like having maybe a bigger house like is that going to make much a difference no but i've got the money to do it so i'll go do it maybe i'll get five cars instead of one because i've got that much and that happens incidentally so mvl really big and there's a blog post or podcast episodes one to three if you want to go deeper into that but that was huge because that gave me the breathing room to pursue earlier in life the things I really, really wanted to do instead of waiting 20 years for, to give myself permission to do them. The best way to financial freedom is actually MVL, not necessarily earning less. Number four, this was the hardest thing to learn for me in the, my 20s. It took me a long time and it gnawed away at me. Relationships are not your life. Relationships are part of your life. And the biggest challenge I think I faced from my late teenage years through to the first half of my 20s was placing that burden on relationships, mainly romantic relationships, but also a bit more than that, expecting other people to make me feel complete, make me feel like I was enough, which, as I came so attached to that idea, probably from watching movies and things when I was young, a large part of it, and it placed all this expectation on it, which almost created like this big lamp that almost casts this shadow. So because I put it on such a big pedestal, it lowered my actual opinion of myself and my love and relationship with myself. And you can see why that became pretty detrimental. So I really had to learn this the hard way. And there were a few friends and mentors who were vital to me overcoming this kind of obstacle. And the idea that, in a very Anthony DeMello way, who's my favourite author, the idea that you must love yourself first and not expect someone to complete you, which, you know, Tom Cruise and the Jerry Maguire film would would not have you believe. I love you. You complete me. But, you know, that you complete yourself. The non-Hollywood truth. Because if you don't, and you're looking for someone else to complete you, you will project onto them your insecurities, your deficiencies, or what you want them to be. And then you are obstructed from actually loving that person, because you can't actually see them. Only the role you have cast them to play in your own drama. Love is sight, is being able to actually see people for who they really are. So learning that relationships are not your life, they are part of your life. As Anthony DeMello says, when the orchestra plays your music, it's joyous, but when you leave, the orchestra doesn't stop playing. When I'm left alone, it just plays a different tune, and it's beautiful, it's just different. And then someone else might come along again, and then the music will play again. But the idea that don't need a romantic partner or anyone in particular to make you happy. Lastly, and quite simple, after all this wisdom and everything I've churned through and thought about, found from the, the Demelos and the Charlie Mungers and the Sud Gurus and the Alan Watts of the world, the one thing, the biggest lesson I learned in my 20s, concentrate on opening doors for others. I had a very Christian Catholic upbringing. I went to a Jesuit school, you might not know what that is, but there was a big emphasis on service. I don't identify as strongly directly with those things, but I appreciate them so deeply to this day. And, But when I look back, I think my whole life has been a conspiracy to teach me this lesson and craft me into that sort of person. For those who've listened to the podcast before, you'll know that you know, I end most episodes with that line, the best way to open a thousand doors for you is to concentrate on opening doors for others. You might wanna dive deep into the idea of the thousand doors independently, but the, the idea of the, the light the exciting natural beautiful journey that i think every single person who breathes air deserves and that, that is really unlocked by concentrating on other people not yourself it was victor frankel who talked about the difference between self-transcendence and self-actualization and self-actualization was the top of maslow's hierarchy of needs that he created about what we pursue in life that brings us most meaning and self-actualization you know, it's more about fulfilling your own potential. Self-transcendence is almost actually forgetting yourself so that you can, again, see more clearly and focus on others. Not, not, not abandoning yourself tr- fully, but playing like a team player instead of the, the person trying to get MVP and using the team as a tool for them to get a single, singular reward, but that the only real win is with others and so often in my life career that tendency as a you know i was always a high achieving kind of type type a personality i think you know often like what do i want to happen what do i want to? where do i want to get to and and that becoming focus but to gradually and always struggle to this day to to flip that and concentrate first on others always always first on others and service in that everything you could focus on giving to others, by forgetting it for yourself, you will then receive it a tenfold. But by that time, it won't mean as much to you as you did when you first conceived of and sought it, but that you would just have it in a healthy, appropriate, measured way. So there you go. Top five lessons I learned in my 20s with lots of interspersed lessons from other incredibly wise and lived people I hope you enjoy remember to check out the YouTube channel for more videos or subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple or Spotify and the day remember that the best way to open a thousand doors for you is to concentrate on opening doors for others good luck in your 20s or wherever you are in life and I'll catch you next time